Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Thank you, Daniel. I believe every person matters to God. And every person's story matters to God. As we've just studied in Genesis uh, for the last two or three months of Joseph's story and how it was not a straight line, like many of our stories, like probably most, if not all, if we're honest, of our stories that are not a straight line. But as I look at this, this situation, this story, this testimony that unfolds, I think we have the opportunity with our testimony to recognize that, that if anybody's giving a testimony in court, they're basically giving the details of what has happened at an event, right? And it's always in the past. But for us that have a faith in Jesus Christ, that have a testimony of how He's changed us, our testimony not only includes our past, it includes what God is doing right now, and it includes what God has in store for us in the future. And so this is a much broader approach that we get to share our testimony. And as you've heard uh, last week from so many people to go, here's what God has brought me through, but right now, here's how God is at work in my life, and here's what I need you as a church to help me do as I pursue the blessings of God, as I pursue obeying God no matter what comes my way. And so I want us to look at four perspectives simply as we look at this passage. And the first perspective is that of Peter and John. As Matt read, these are two disciples that are sent out with the power of God, sent out with the power of the Holy Spirit to do some amazing things. And we come across them obviously right in verse 1 where it says, Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And in this time they counted hours starting at 6 a.m., and so by noon, it was the sixth hour. By 3 p.m., it was the ninth hour. So it's the middle of the afternoon, and these guys are going to the temple to pray. And I, I find this verse very helpful in realizing that they didn't wake up in the morning and go, let's do a miracle today. Today, we're gonna, let's find a blind guy. Let's, just, let's change his life. Let's set out to do something amazing. They simply said, Let's go. We're going to have our routine. We're going to go to the temple at 3. We're going to make sure we're there on time and do what we're supposed to do. But they had their daily routine. And yet in the midst of their daily routine, they're not so transfixed on just getting their to-do list done. They actually have a missions mindset to go, as God brings something up, I'm not going to get so focused that I can't serve. 
that I can't reach and share the gospel in the midst of my everyday routine. And so they head to the temple like they're supposed to. They head to the temple to be able to worship and pray. In verse 2, we find a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate. And as Daniel read the story, this man engages Peter and John. And he says, please, can you, is there anything you have for me? And they said, well, actually, what you want, gold and silver, we don't have any of that. But what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And they reach down with their hand and help the man stand up. I want to point out two things from this perspective of Peter and John that stick out to me. That for us, as we're looking at, at not only Easter coming next Sunday, but even living in the truth of what Curtis shared last week, that we have 75 to 100 new people showing up in our service, let alone joining us online, that are going, either what, what's this Jesus thing about, or how does this church worship Jesus according to Scripture, that they're here to figure out what is this body, how do we respond to the gospel? So this isn't just something to kind of a pep talk before Easter. It's also going, we're living in it. It's happening right now. And I want us to see with Peter and John, the first thing that sticks out to me on their mission's perspective is that they're caring. They're caring. They initiate care with this man. And they do so, first of all, by, by beginning to talk to him. As he addresses them, they talk back with kindness. But they also make eye contact. Did you catch that? Many of us were raised by good parents. Hopefully all of us were raised by good parents who said, if you're going to talk to somebody respectfully, what do you do? You look them in the eye. And so Peter and John are going, we, we want you to know we see you. We want you to know that we're not just passing by, that you matter. And how can we care? We can see the opposite of this. As a teacher, I get it in a classroom where I can ask a question and I can tell every student doesn't want to answer me. How do I know? Because their eyes are everywhere else. They're faking something on their phone so that eye contact does not happen because they know as soon as that eye contact happens, I'm calling on you. So avoid it. Avoid it, right? As best we can. It may even happen as you pull up to a certain traffic light on your way home. Maybe not today in the rain, but on a normal day where there's somebody there asking for something. And if we're not in the mood, if we're not paying attention, if we don't want to necessarily deal with the awkwardness, what do we do? We don't make eye contact. We pull out the phone and look busy as adults, right, to try and avoid it. But these guys are going, no, in the midst of this, I see you and I care. But the care then goes a step further as they begin to give. They said, you're asking us something and, and, and our heart is to give you something, but what you want is different than what we have to give. But what you want right now is simply what's going to satisfy that immediate need. So if we do give you some loose change and you're able to get a loaf of bread, that'll satisfy your hunger right now. But what's actually going to be most essential for you, what's going to be most beneficial for you is we can help address your need. And they say, we don't have the money that you want, but we know what you need. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And they help him up. I see them going, God, we don't know what you're going to do here. We don't know how you're going to use us, but we're going to step forward and we're going to show up and in our giving of whatever it is, you're going to do something. You're going to bring about something that we'd have never thought could happen because we were willing to show up. 
We got to see this as a church, even in a small way, a couple weekends ago. We've realized in student ministry and talking to many of our parents that our students are struggling academically. It's been a very, very hard year. It's not a mystery to us now. But between learning online, between just the grades that are dropping, the motivation that is dropping, we said, how can we help? And so we organized basically a study hall at church. And what teenager can't wait to bring their chemistry book to church with the greatest youth event ever? But 17 students showed up. And so we began asking college students, teachers, professionals, whoever we could think of to go, please, if you're willing to come help a couple kids on a Saturday afternoon, please come out. 30 of you showed up for 17 kids. It was awesome. And so many in their emails back, or even in conversations as they're showing up, going, I don't know what can happen, but I'm going to show up and maybe something can be used. And as we began to get people settled and situated with different students to see the connections that were made between a 65-year-old retired person and an 11-year-old kid struggling with science and go, this is the church. This is us going, I don't know how it's going to be used, but let me show up and help out. We had a couple, Joe Miller and Rachel Wood. I hope if you don't know them, get to know them. An incredible couple. And they, they came and kind of said the same thing. We're not sure how God is going to do this. Uh, but we, we work in the science field, and we'd love to help out somebody with science. And we had another student come in named Andrew. And Andrew was working on some, uh, some high school science, and he said, honestly, like my middle school science teacher was amazing. Um, and this, this science teacher I have now, it's a little harder. We don't really click. It's been, it's been a challenge. And they said, well, what school do you go to? And so he told them what school they go to. Rachel's daughter is the science teacher at his school who teaches middle school science. And they looked at him and were like, you're Andrew. You're the kid my daughter says makes her day every time she goes to school. That wouldn't happen if they hadn't shown up. They simply said, I don't know how God is going to use this. And here's the kid that has made my daughter's day. And we want to make sure he knows that. That in your challenges in school, you make your teacher's day. And that's our daughter. And she loves you. We go, this is such a small thing. I don't know how God can use this, but we're going to give what we have. And the awesome thing is we have so much more than some science knowledge. We have so much more than just a couple of bucks in our pocket. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ to be able to give to people, to go the hope that you're, that you're clinging to, to even go just give me a loaf of bread. We can give you hope that will last for a lifetime if we show up and help share. And so I love that Peter and John are going, this is what we're going to do. When it comes to evangelism, there may be somebody that the Holy Spirit has been moving you toward. To engage, to say, I'm, I'm going to start initiating care because the Holy Spirit has not let me stop thinking about this person. And so, God, I'm going to respond. I'm going to send a simple text, or I'm going to reach out. In fact, you may have a coworker that you knew was going through stuff, and right now, for a year, they've been this little face in a box. And you can go, you know what? Work aside, I need to reach out to them. There's a whole lot more going on than just the work stuff we've got to get done. How can I pray for you? How can I care for you? How can I bring you a meal? How can I support you? I believe God has a number of those people in our neighborhood, in our workspace, in our classroom that we can be reaching out to. But the second perspective is of a group of people that have no name. 
The second perspective is of those lame man's carriers. We find in verse 2, it says this, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. So these unknown carriers, we don't know who they are. They might be some collective effort of a family unit that loves him. But we find out even at the end of verse 9 and 10, the end of his story, in this passage at least, that all the people who saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the one who always sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. This is a guy that was a fixture in this town square. He was the person that everybody knew, and we knew your situation, we knew what was going on. He'd been there for a long time, and these faithful few said constantly, we don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know how the cure is going to come. We don't know how anybody can encourage him. But we're going to be faithful to daily bring him to a place that we believe will do him the most good. And I believe for us that there may be people where we're praying for, and we've prayed for, and we've reached out to, and we've shared the gospel with, and it just seems like there's resistance. It just seems like they've said, thanks, but no thanks, we're kind of done, uh, but God is encouraging us, I believe, right here to go. Don't stop praying. Keep being faithful. Don't give up on them. And I would love to promise that every person that we pray for, that that hundredth prayer, man, something happens. I wish I could can promise that to us, but that's not something that we can necessarily promise. But we can celebrate when we hear it happens. We heard it in Sarah Kelly's testimony. That a friend who had been praying, reaching out, encouraging, lost touch with, regained touch with, that eight, ten years later, said this person was so faithful in their love for me, so faithful in reaching out and saying, how can I pray, how can I care for you, let's get dinner, let's connect. That after that long haul of eight, ten years, Sarah gets baptized last Sunday and says, I want to live for Jesus. And she shared in her testimony, the friend from our church, and it wasn't for that to get the attention, and her friend was embarrassed by it. Go, I, don't, I don't want the attention, but I want you to hear how long somebody was faithful in praying for me, in caring for me, and saying, no matter if anybody else cares, I'm bringing you before God. Because of all my efforts, the best place I can think of to bring you is the throne of God. It's this faithfulness that has blown me away in the Joseph study. Of all the amazing things that I've been able to pick up and note and rethink about a story I've heard from a long time, Joseph's faithfulness is what just crushed me in these last couple of months. Because we have a 17-year-old, right? Grew up knowing, worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understanding all that that God does and who He is and how we worship Him and please Him. And then at 17, his 10 brothers hate him enough to sell him into slavery. And he's carted off to a country that he doesn't even know the language, let alone the entire religious system of Egypt. Doesn't have other Bible studies that he can go to. Right? Doesn't have a support group. It's him. If he's going to worship Yahweh, God of his fathers, if he's going to worship the God of the Bible, it's him. Because the religious system in Egypt had multiple gods, many of them related to nature, so a sun god, a god of the Nile, a god of various animals and wind and so on. But the whole religious system said any pharaoh that is in place 
this Pharaoh is the embodiment of all the gods. So if you have any question with the God system, whatever Pharaoh says goes. So he is in Egypt, the God of gods. And here's Joseph coming into this situation. And I've worked with 17-year-olds before. And if there was a 17-year-old who went through all that Joseph went through and said, in the midst of all this stuff, God, when I worshipped you, this happened. Where's the God that loves me? Where's the God that cares for me? You know what? I'm done with this God. But that's not what Joseph says. Joseph says, even in a foreign land, I'm going to be faithful to God. Even in this not straight line that is my life and my testimony, I'm going to be faithful to God. And Genesis 41 hits, where Pharaoh has a couple crazy dreams. And he brings in all of his guys, and they have no clue how to interpret the dream and what it means. And they're fearing for their life. And one of the guys that was in jail with Joseph, who had Joseph interpret his dream for him and get him back as the cupbearer, it dawns on him, right? I totally forgot about this Jewish kid in jail. Pharaoh, sit tight. Let me go clean this kid up. I'm going to bring him to you. And Joseph gets to appear before Pharaoh and, and, and write his situation. And he looks Pharaoh in the eye, and in Genesis 41, 16, he says this. Joseph answers Pharaoh, it's not in me to interpret the dreams. I, I don't have that skill. But get this. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You see what he's saying to the God of gods of Egypt? There's another God, and it's not you, and he's actually going to help you out. What a bold statement for a man who's been in prison, for a man who's going, I could have easily said, let me try and worship in your system. Let me try and do it your way. But he's going, no, I'm going to remain faithful no matter what God has done, no matter how long I have to be faithful in doing this, I'm going to still worship God. And in Genesis 41, verse 25, he comes to Pharaoh with the answer. And Joseph says to Pharaoh, the dreams that you have are one. They actually work together. And God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is going to do for you. What amazing boldness. What amazing faithfulness to go, I'm the only one here, and yet I'm not veering from my faith in God. I am continually bringing what I have to him. Amazing faithfulness. And so maybe there is that person that you're going, God, am I just preaching or praying to a brick wall? Am I just pushing for something that's just not going to happen? And they've blocked my number, or they've done this to let me know, no, we're done. Do I just give up? I believe God is saying, still bring them before the throne. Still be faithful. Still reach out. Care for them. It's going to be hard, I know, but stick with it. Because you never know when you're, as a faithful carrier, interact with somebody else's Peter and John they may be able to reach out and present the gospel in a way that, that turns the light on for them. And these two unknown missions partners can work together. But there's a third perspective I want us to see, and this is the one that, that even as I was doing my devotions in Acts months ago, that, that my reading plan hit pause. It said, hold on, We're not, you need to rest here for a while, and it's because of what happens to this man. The third perspective of a lame man, verse 2, we hear his story. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. That's called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And he said, look at us. 
And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, before we dive into these verses, I want you to hear some of the end of the story. Because the rest of Acts 3, this man is clinging, physically clinging. Verse 11 says he's holding on to Peter and John as they preach in the temple. And the whole crowd who has seen this are now coming in to hear what in the world is going on. In the temple, some of the people go and bring in the leaders of the temple like something's going down. You've got to come in here and see this. And the leaders come in and go, oh no, it's these guys again. Like, we've we got to shut them up. We've got to stop them. But at the end of chapter 4, as Peter has preached, we read this in verse 13. Now, when the leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and common men. But they realized two things. These men had been with Jesus. And secondly, seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. We find out at the very end of chapter 4, when they had further threatened them, they, threw, they, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people loved them, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. The author of Acts is Luke, and he's a doctor, and he knows the medical field of what's going on at this time. And he knows that the age of 40 means something. Because as all these doctors are trying to be benevolent or trying to be caring for the community and, and fix blindness and fix deafness and muteness and those who are lame, that the whole medical community said, we're going to try whatever we can until they're 40. Once they have that 40th birthday, we're done. Hope is gone. They need to accept the fact that this is how life is going to be for the rest of their life. So instead of a happy 40th birthday... It's really a hopeless 40th birthday. And Dr. Luke wants us to see that, that this healing happened after this man was 40. So there's no doctor in town to go, yeah, that was me. That last thing I did on them, that was me. Everybody come. I have the answer. There's no doctor who can claim the miraculous healing of this man, but only the power of Jesus. There's no other distraction. But I want to draw our attention to verses 7 and 8. Acts 3, verses 7 and 8, there are three verbs that come across here in verse 8 that I just love. The first verb is the word leaping. We find out in verse 7 that as, they, as Peter raised this man up, it says his legs and his ankles became strong. Now imagine somebody who's been over 40 years old, never walking a day in his life. How atrophied and skin and bones are their legs? And yet as Peter raises him up, this Hulk-esque transformation of his legs happens. You see the jeans ripping as these muscles bulge through, and he is just leaping with excitement. Like, I visualize this, like, Tigger-esque person kind of bouncing around. <laughs> Wherever he goes, he's so excited about what has happened. He's going to the jack table going, don't miss leg day, boys, because, you know, this is important now. He's so excited about what is happening. And when Jesus changes a life, that is a natural reaction we see in those who are recently converted, that they just can't contain their excitement like, 
Wait, there's a whole group of people that gather to celebrate what Jesus has done? I'm in. Wait, there's another class I can go join that will help me understand how the Bible is, is directed toward me as a love letter? Let's go. There's just so much excitement in him. It's boundless. I fear that sometimes we can go, like, take it easy. Like, there's, there's kind of a settlement here we need to get to. Like, once you like the excitement wears off, you'll kind of l- fit in. Don't give in to that. We need that excitement as a church. We need to celebrate those who are going, man, this is so unreal. Do you get this? This is why even in the songs that we sing, we go, we want you to celebrate how great God is. Then the altar of our praise, let there be no higher name than Jesus. How's your joy this morning? I understand if it's not Tigger-esque. But are there things in our life that go, no matter what is happening, no one can steal this joy. Because I worship a God who is the epitome of joy. I worship a God who, when he created everything, said, man, that's good. And when he created you, and when we read descriptions of that in Psalm 139, he's going, man, I made you exactly the way I wanted to make you, and you bring me joy. And we have the Holy Spirit living in us to help guide us through all the challenges of life, to go, there is hope in store. And even though this may be hard, even though this may be rough, there is such joy coming that for the, even what Jesus says, and we learn about Jesus in Hebrews, where it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We have a gospel that is the greatest news that any human being can ever hear. And we're destined to go to a place that is the existence forever of the greatest joy. And I realize that there are those who are are beaten, that are healing, that are in need of that. And I want to encourage you not to rush the healing. But there can be joy in the hardships. There is hope in the hardships. There may be some of us who go, that excitement that I had perhaps at my conversion when I said, yes, Jesus, I surrender my life to you, that the joy that was there has faded. We sing prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Can I encourage you with a verse, with one verse of a prayer in Psalm 51 where David says, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. But I love how there are three verbs in verse 8. And the first is leaping. Then there's a comma, and it says, and he stood. He stood. I don't believe he stood because he was getting dizzy or he was tired from all the leaping. I don't believe he was standing simply because he was getting used to how thick the air is up here. I think he stood because the weight of the reality of what just happened to him hit him. And he looked down and he saw, I'm standing on legs. I've never done that before. There's an awe and a wonder at what Jesus has done for him. And so in the songs that we sing that are exciting, we want you to recognize how great our God is. We also want to recognize how amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. We need a healthy dose of these two things. 
So we want to incorporate it into our worship every Sunday. We want to incorporate that into every conversation that we have, that there are times where we're going, God, this is so hard. And God, I'm so undeserving. And yet in the midst of that, I want to praise you. I need to praise you. There's a third verb here that says we need to take our excitement, we need to take our awe and our wonder, and it says he leaps, he stands, and he begins to walk. It says this burden that has been lifted off of me that I've been carrying my whole life, I can now walk, I can now live that out. You think through even the burden that may have been lifted when you got your second vaccine shot. It was like, I feel invincible now. It's going, now now that this is here, how do I live my life in accordance to the change that has happened to me spiritually? So the man begins to walk. He says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. And then we get to this fourth perspective very simply. There's another group of people that are involved and see this story, and it's the townspeople. It's the rest of them that are around. Verse 10 says, They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And the rest of chapter 3, they join him in the temple to hear more. But I find it amazing, and and the testimony of these, these townspeople, saying that when there's wonder and there's awe in somebody who has been changed by the gospel, it produces wonder and awe in those around them. This is our task as we reflect the joy of the Lord. How's our joy this morning? How's our awe this morning? How is our intentionality in living out what has happened to us? In closing, I want us to think through some of that. I want us to think through these different perspectives, and perhaps there's a couple different situations. There may be a Peter and John situation where there's somebody God is drawing you toward and today is a day you can take that step to initiate that care. Perhaps you've been praying faithfully for somebody and and the hope is almost gone. You've almost gone, "Ah, I can wait a little bit. Maybe when, you know, we start to reconnect then I can start praying again. Maybe there's somebody to go, I need to recommit to my faithfulness to be bringing this person before the throne of God. And I look at this lame man and I reflect on the wonder and awe that he experienced. And maybe today you're going, it's, it was there before. But right now I just need to pray what David did in Psalm 51. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. But even if you're here this morning and you're saying, I, I don't quite grasp the joy. I don't quite grasp all that's being talked about here. I would love to know more about that, but I'm, I've missed it. I may see it on those around me. I may see elements of that on those around me, but I just don't. I've never quite experienced that. I've never quite wrestled with the forgiveness of God and that that is for me. Can I invite you to come and talk to me afterwards? Talk to many of us pastors, people with any lanyard on. We would love to talk with you and pray with you. But can I encourage us as we enter this week as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the hope that we have, that we can go, God, here I am. Use me in whatever way possible. Let my joy be overflowing at what you've done for me. Will you pray with me? 
Father God, we praise you this morning for who you are. We praise you for in the midst of these seven plus billion people on this planet that you saw us and you reached out to us and you offered us to be your son and your daughter, to be forgiven of the sins that we've committed, to know your forgiveness, to know your peace, to know your joy. God, we know the Spirit is at work. God, we're amazed at, at how he works in so many different people, but God, allow pe somebody to come to mind for us that we can reach out to. Allow somebody who might even be somebody who would come next week to hear your truth. God, give us the boldness we need to reach out. Give us the boldness we need and the faithfulness we need to stay committed. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.